We come to the topic of, of evangelism this morning, and I, I just wonder what you think of uh, when you think of that word evangelism. Do you think of something that happens overseas, right? Like, I, I have to laugh at the, I, I, I picked the bulletin cover, so it's not like I'm not making fun of anyone other than me, but you, you look at the bulletin cover and you think of like, yes, evangelism, like, I'm 20-something years old, I've got my, my backpack on, my canvas backpack, and like I'm going somewhere and, and, and telling other people about Jesus in, an, in a faraway place. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of evangelism. Maybe you think of evangelism as, well, that's something that we kind of like pay other people to do, right? Like, that's to kind of put, that's why we give to missions, we're, we're paying other people to go overseas and, and do that. Um, or, or at the very least, like, that's what the, the pastors are for. That's, that's what the Sunday school teachers are for. But evangelism is something that you do. Um, it's something that you should do in your families. It's something that you should do in your neighborhoods. It's something that we should do in our workplace. But I wonder if, if that's not what you need to hear this morning. <laughs> I wonder if, if you don't need to hear this morning that you should do more of this or that. Um, I, I, I approach this sermon um, very humbly because I feel like a hypocrite preaching it, right? You, you feel like, oh, this is what God's called us to do, and this is what we should be involved in, and boy, I'm not doing so much of that. So, so just believe me, as I'm preaching this and teaching this, it's not Pastor Dan has got this figured out, and this is something that he's uh, involved in all the time, just every chance he gets, he's sharing the gospel um, I, I need to grow in that, and my, my thoughts are, my assumptions are that, that you need to grow in it too. So what we're going to look at today, we're going to consider four words to help us do biblical evangelism. Four words to help us do biblical evangelism. I had, initially, four words to help us understand biblical evangelism. But we don't want to just understand it, right? We want to do it. We want to do what God has called us to do. So before we uh, get into Acts here, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would just guide my words, um, keep me from saying things that I shouldn't, um, and help me to be bold in saying the things that I should. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us here this morning would hear from you, from your word, and um, that we would apply it, Lord, do the things that you have called us to do. And I ask uh, this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 16, the, the first uh, word that I want us to consider is sent, the word sent. They all start with S, okay? So, made it easy for you. If you're trying to write down everything I say this morning, let me just tell you, good luck, okay? I got lots of sheets up here, lots of things we're going to go through. So, maybe just get the, the four main points and, and maybe jot down a few things that stick out to you or some references that stick out to you. But please don't try to write everything down unless you are just superhuman note taker. Um, you, you're certainly welcome to, but I just want to give you fair warning there. There's only so much space on the back of the bulletin to take notes. So, all right, let's get into it. Sent, okay? Now, this is not uh, explicit in the text that we're looking at this morning, but, but it's kind of just assumed, right? Like Paul and Silas and, and, and maybe even uh, Luke, because we see the, the pronouns change in here to, to we, and so Luke is the author of, of Acts. They're, they're bringing the gospel to new places, and it's really clear that that God has given Paul um, and the apostles this, this charge, right? End of, end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. The beginning of, of Acts, Acts 1-8, right? You will be my witnesses to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of, of the earth. It's really clear that God has given that charge to the apostles or the disciples. But I know what you're thinking, <laughs> Is evangelism required of every Christian, right? Or am I sent? Or are those just that's just for the apostles? That's just for the, the special people. Um, is it required of me? Now I've I've taught uh, Bible at, at the Christian school for for four years now, and so I've I've learned a thing a t thing or two about um, about the way high schoolers um, act and the way that they respond to things. How often has this happened where I've given the assignment and I say, here's the question, and I want you to answer this question in a good paragraph with complete sentences. 
Now, what do you think the response to that is? What, what do you think the, the follow-up question to that is? The follow-up question is usually, well, Mr. Newton, how many sentences are in a paragraph? You're, you're asking me to answer this in a paragraph with complete sentences, so how many sentences are, are in a par paragraph? Uh, AKA, what is the bare minimum that I can do to, to get by and still get a, a decent grade, right? And my, you know, I love to learn, and so, so I'm like, but don't you want to learn? Like, don't you want to do your best? Like, come on. Uh, um, so, so keep that in, in, in your mind. Like, what are we saying when we say, is evangelism really, like, required of me as a Christian? Here, here's another one. Uh, as a parent, what if you were to say, as a parent, is it required of me to make my child feel special on their birthday? Is that, is that like, required of me? What about this as a spouse? Is it required of me to take my wife out to dinner on our anniversary? Like, is that required? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, ask, ask your wife. Ask your wife that, that question, right? Uh, so, so what are we saying with our hearts when we ask, is evangelism required? So evangelism is the overflow of a love for God. Telling other people about Jesus is an overflow of our love for him. Look what, look what happened in, in the book of Acts. Saul approved of his execution, referring to Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So there's persecution. So you'd think, like, oh, people are, are, are killing us for speaking the gospel. So you would think that let's just not speak the gospel. Problem solved, right? If they're killing us because we speak the gospel, then let's just not do that thing, and then the killing will, will stop. It seems pretty, pretty reasonable, but, but what happened? Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged men and women off and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They didn't stop speaking. Did, now, did they do this because they were obligated to? Did they do this because it was required of them? And I wonder if sometimes we don't share the gospel because we're just not as excited about it. <laughs> because we're not, we're just not excited about what Jesus has done in our life. We've forgotten of, of how God has rescued us from our sin. We've forgotten what the gospel means for us. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be coming back to this text a couple of different times here. He says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, we love to focus on the, the middle part of that verse, right? Always be prepared to make a defense, right? Apologia, right? I'm going, to study, I'm going to study all the answers to the objections that people might have to Christianity, and I'm going to know exactly what to say. So we, we focus on that middle part, always being prepared to make a defense. But look what's, look what's right before that. What comes first? What comes first, the defense and proclamation of the gospel or honoring Christ in your heart? Honoring Christ. Comes, comes first, right? Don't, don't fear man, but, but fear God. And, and when you're in a proper relationship with God and when you're worshiping God and, and he's got supreme authority and value and, and worship in your heart, then, then the rest is, is going to come. Maybe you're here this morning and what you need is not to be told to evangelize more. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be challenged concerning the place of Jesus in your heart. Is he your king? Is he, is he your Lord? Is he your savior? Is he the one that means the most to you? So there's some bad reasoning that we can, we can use sometimes, right? And say, like, the command to go was, it was given to the apostles, even I could argue against that, because he says, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. So if he's promising that he'd be with them long after the apostles are dead and gone, then who's this for? It's for more than just the apostles. It's for the, for the church. So we can say things like uh, evangelism is, is mentioned as a spiritual gift, right? In Ephesians 4.11, right? So only the, the people with the spiritual gift they, they do evangelism, and, and, and so for me, don't have the gift, right? Like, that's just a gift that I, I do not have. So 
So therefore, I'm going to kind of pass over that. And so, uh, but we see that for, for one who loves God, evangelism is not a question of whether, whether I'm going to do it or not, but it's a question of, of, of where. Where is God going to, going to lead me? Let's look at our text here. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Hayden and I were talking about pronouncing all of these things here, and I said, whatever you say, however you pronounce these places is what I'm going to go with, but I can't remember exactly what he said, so we'll just do my best here. We're going to read verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Myasia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel uh, to them. So notice that for Paul and his companions, it was not a question of, of whether they would take the gospel to those who didn't know Christ. It was a question of, of where. But also notice that they followed the Spirit's leading, but they didn't wait around for the Spirit's leading. That's, a, that's an important point. They followed the Spirit's leading, but they didn't wait around for the Spirit's leading, right? They, were, they, they tried here, and, 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 and it didn't work out. It says the Holy Spirit um, prevented them, right? I, I don't know exactly what that, what that means, but, but for some reason or another, they weren't able to go to, to that place, but they're then going to go on to the next place. I'm going to try this place and, and try this place. They weren't waiting around for, for some revelation. They just said, no, we're going to bring the gospel, and if God opens doors, great, and if he closes doors, that's fine too. And I wonder if some of us maybe have that mindset of, of, of waiting, like I'm waiting for the right opportunity, right? Waiting for the right opportunity. Or, or I'm waiting to share the gospel until I can build a, a, the bridge of, of trust, right? Those aren't, aren't bad things, okay? But be careful that you don't wait forever, right? I'm just trying to build the relationship before I share the gospel. And then decades go by and you're still building the relationship and in order to share the, the gospel. Don't use that as an excuse. Here's, a, here's another one. I'm waiting for the church to start an evangelistic program before I share the gospel. Um, often we have people, good, great, great meaning people, people wanting to, to, to do what's right and people wanting to share the gospel and to to, to do outreach, and so we have people come to us like, Pastor, I have such a, a burden for the, the, the college students, right? When, when are you going to reach them? Or, or, Pastor, I have such a burden for the homeless in our community. I'm just broken over the homeless in our community. Pastor, when are you going to reach them? And, and, and let's say that as those questions come in, that, that, that the pastor goes, you're, you're right, like, you, you know, th this week I'm going to go and I'm going to reach the homeless this week. You're right, this week I'm going to go and I'm going to reach the CLC students this week. You're right, this week I'm going to go here and here. And pretty soon what, what can happen very quickly is that a church can become all about outreach programs. A church can become all about outreach programs. Very quickly, the things that a church should be doing, which are teaching and preaching, equipping, praying, observing the Lord's Supper, baptism, church membership, church discipline, all of those things can fall by the wayside. Am I saying that outreach programs are bad? No. But I'm saying that, that the church is called to do something specific. Let me see if I can illustrate this from Acts chapter 6 a little bit easier here. The 12 summoned the number of the disciples and said, well, first of all, this is talking about how uh, there was certain widows in, in the, the church community that were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food. So they, they, they were caring for people's physical needs like they should be as a church, but, but some were being neglected for one reason or another. And so the church came to the, the apostles and said, we've got this, this problem. And the apostles say, you're right, that is a problem. But notice what they do. It says, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint for this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. Now, are they saying that the daily distribution, the outreach there is, 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 is not important? 
No, they're saying there is something that is foundational, though. There is something that is most important, and what, what is that for them? It's prayer and, and the ministry of the word. And so this is where we see um, the, the church setting up deacons. Um, so if you ever have an outreach uh, suggestion, go, go talk to the deacons. No, just kidding. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if you feel burdened about reaching a certain group with the gospel, don't shift that burden onto, onto the pastor of the church and say, I just wish someone would do something. Instead, ask, how can I go minister? How can I do the work of the ministry? Mark Dever puts it in a great way. He calls us to consider, what situations are you in right now? that you won't always be in? How are you using those situations in obedience to God? Trust the Lord to use you in those situations instead of always seeking for new situations, right? I'll evangelize as soon as I move away from those neighbors. I'll evangelize as soon as I get into a new job because, boy, the place I'm at right now, there's no way anyone there is going to come to Christ. What has God given you? What situations has he put you in right now, and how can you use that? Evangelism is for, for all people everywhere. Um, not only do we have the opportunity to be witnesses to those people in, in our communities, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our spheres of influence, um, but we have opportunity to part with um, missionaries who are, are going over overseas. And Paul uh, is, is very thankful for the gift that the Philippian church sent him towards the end of his letter. Um, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Listen to this. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The, the gift that they gave to, to Paul wasn't just for Paul. It was an act of worship. It was an act of worship. Giving to missions is a, an act of, of worship. And we get to do that here as a church. We've got missionaries that, that we support. And so the, the money that you give in the offering plate is, is not just to keep the lights on, uh, but the money that you give in the offering plate is, is for the ministry, the advancement of the gospel here in Brainerd and, and around the world. So sent, sent. We're, we're, we're called, each and every one of us as believers, to, to go, to share the gospel and uh, I think it's a good thing as well to support the advancement of the gospel to the nations around the world. Let's keep going. Let's read verses 6 and 7 of our, of our text here. And they went through the region of all those places that I just read. <laughs> Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then again in verse 7, it says, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So the next word that I want us to consider is the word spirit. Spirit. Twice, we're told that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul and Silas from going to a certain region. So, so what does it look like that the Holy Spirit prevented them? I got to tell you, after a, a week of studying and preparing, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so then you might ask, like, well, okay, so then why did God prevent them from going like isn't isn't going a good thing like they were going to share the gospel why would god prevent them from going to certain places and again after a week of studying and looking into this i don't know okay no so what pray tell pastor dan what are you doing up there speaking uh, if you don't if you don't know here's the thing god is god and we are not god is god and we are not god directs and we obey um i just wonder like is there room in your theology for, for that? Is there room for God to be God and for him to not clue you in on every little thing? See, salvation is a, is a work of God. 
Salvation is a work of God. John 1, 12 through 13 says this, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Later on, talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're not the ones that creates new life in someone. We're not, we're, we're not the one that's saving someone. It's a work of, of God. So if salvation is a work of God, then closing the deal does not depend on us. Closing the deal does not depend on, on, on us. I was reading a, a book here. We've been referencing it often in this series. It's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by, by Mark Dever. And he is quoting in his book uh, another individual by the name of uh, C.S. Lovett. And, and this book is called Soul Winning Made Easy. And uh, this is what C.S. Lovett says in his, in his book. The trained soul winner can bring his prospect to a decision for Christ. There is no middle ground as he moves with surety and deftness right up to the point of salvation. It is his conversation control that makes this possible. He knows exactly what he's going to say each step of the way and can even anticipate his prospect's responses. He's able to keep the conversation focused on the main issue and prevent unrelated materials from being introduced. The controlled conversation technique is something new in evangelism and represents a real breakthrough in soul winning. Here we go. Lay your hand firmly on the subject's shoulder or arm. And with a semi-commanding tone of voice, say to him, bow your head with me. Note, do not look at him when you say this, but bow your head first. Out of the corner of your eye, you will see him hesitate at first. Then, as his resistance crumbles, his head will come down. Your hand on his shoulder will feel the relaxation, and you will know when his heart yields. Bowing your head first causes terrific psychological pressure. Close the deal, right? Now, is it wrong to call people to a decision? I don't think so. Is it wrong to bring people right up to that point and say, you, you need to get right with God? No. But are you the one, are you the one closing the deal in that, that person's heart and life? I think Jonah would have something to say about that, right? Jonah going to, to, to preach to the Ninevites, and Jonah didn't even really want to see the Ninevites saved, right? He was kind of reluctant. That's what the whole deal with the big fish, right? Uh, Jonah went into Nineveh, and he preached a message, and maybe it was longer than what we're given, but all we're given in Scripture is, is this simple sentence, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not exactly compelling, not exactly like, okay, give me some reasons, right? This isn't like some well-crafted sermon, but what happens in Nineveh? They all repent from the, the highest king down to the cattle. They're like, put some ashes and sackcloth on the cattle too. Like, they're, they're repenting because God is at work. And God is using the, the simple words of, of Jonah to, to see people repent. So I want to be clear, like, Paul, we're, we're told in Acts, Paul disputed, he, he reasoned. These are all words that are used. He taught, he persuaded, but it's not our job to do the work of the, the Holy Spirit. In fact, I, I think when we manipulate people, when we, when we put terrific psychological pressure uh, on people, we might do more harm than good because uh, the danger is creating false converts, right? I've manipulated someone into doing this thing and then I say, see, now you're saved, right? And so we've pressured people psychologically to pray a prayer or walk an aisle but they were never really converted in, in their hearts. Um, now in Acts chapter 16, the, the reason why God is steering them, Paul and, and Silas, is because God has several divine appointments in Philippi for Paul and his traveling companions. Let's read about the first one. Pick it up in, in uh, verse 11 of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. 
So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Smith, nah, whatever. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It's just very interesting. It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And, and just Notice what it doesn't say, right? Paul's perfectly crafted message was so entertaining that she paid attention. Or Paul's reason and logic was so sound and compelling that she paid attention. Now, are, are interesting gospel presentations wrong? It, no. It is reason and logic wrong in evangelism? No. That's not my point. My, my point is that we cannot, in and of ourselves remove a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. We're just the, the messenger. And so what implications does that have for us? Do you pray? Do you pray for the, the lost? Do you pray for opportunities? Do you pray for God to do a work in, in someone's heart? Paul, we think of evangelism. We think of Paul's doing it, right? But Paul was so dependent on prayer. Look what he said. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, and that it may be honored as happened among you. Ephesians 6 is like the, the, the armor of God passage, right? So we talk through the armor of God, right? Breastplate of righteousness, I couldn't get them all wrong, helmet of salvation, right? We talk through the, the, the armor of God, and then we stop, and we forget about this, this last part here, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So, so you've got your armor on, but what, what now? Pray. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that's prayer, for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to, to speak. So here's Paul, the evangelist of evangelism, right? We think of him, and he's just saying, pray. Pray for me. Pray for boldness. Pray that hearts will be opened. Pray, pray for opportunities. We need God's help. Right? We think that we're just going to be go, going and we're going to have the exact words to say, that I'm going to really get someone to, to trust Christ, and we're not depending on the Spirit. I think we're, we're approaching it with a wrong attitude. You ready for the next word? Yes! Okay, three, suffer. Like, no, I'm not ready for that one, right? suffer yeah tell me more pastor dan tell me more about suffering let's look what happens in verse 16 Acts 16 verse 16 says and we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination so so she's possessed by a a, a demon and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling so they're using her to to make money she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. I kind of took liberties at translating that. I can imagine that this demon is kind of, kind of egging them on and, and, and speaking uh, on the surface truthful things, but, but in a way that's not helpful. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that, that very hour. Evangelism will be met with opposition from, from the enemy. What does Satan not want to see happen? He does not want to see the advancement of the gospel. And we see that here in, in Acts, right? Um, so is, is Satan real? Are demons real? You better believe so. Scripture says they are. Now, Satan's a defeated enemy, but he's uh, still active. 
We've got to heed the words of Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We have an enemy, and the, the thing is we have to keep in mind is that people are not our enemy. Pe- people are not our enemy. They're, they're captive to, to the enemy. I'm not going to take time to read Ephesians 2 here, but, but just understanding that you're either under the power of Christ as a believer, or you're under the power of Satan. Those are the two options that Scripture hold out for us. You may think, like, wait, so an unbeliever, like, they're, they're serving Satan? and Well, you have to understand that he, he's the, the, the God of this world. He's influencing, and, and if you're not under Christ, then, then you're under Satan. So my question for you, in light of these things, is do you see unbelievers as just like you, except for without the grace of God? Because without God's grace, without God's mercy on, on us, this is how we're described, dead in our trespasses and sins, right? following the course of, of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. When you see people, don't see enemies, don't see people that, that are against you and you're against them, but see people that are under the, the thumb of the enemy. Let's keep moving. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Happy, happy. Evangelism will mean suffering. And I put will in there because I I chose those words very carefully. Evangelism will mean suffering. And just consider what was said about these men. These were actually lies about these people. They're disturbing our our, our city. And so they're they're beat with with rods. Their rights were violated because later on we're going to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And it was unlawful for them to be beaten uh, without a, a fair trial. So their rights were, were violated. They were lied about, slandered. But isn't this what Jesus told us to expect? Remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep, keep yours. Like We sometimes know as Christians, like, oh yeah, we should expect persecution. And then the second it haps, happens to us, we're like, what? What? can't believe it what is going on can you believe it like so what so what jesus said would happen now we don't wish for persecution we, we we don't just like you know bow down and yes persecute me please yes but but should we expect it from the world absolutely jesus or sorry paul says in verse 17 of this passage indeed all who sorry verse 12 of this passage indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't love to talk about that, right? Like, this is America. Um, but how often do we, um, do we worry about what someone will, will say of us if we share the gospel with them? I know that's not like persecution like Paul and Silas are talking about here. But if we're not willing to, to suffer some, some social um, repercussions... Are we going to be willing to suffer, like, physical repercussions? Like, not a chance, right? So, so maybe we could get some practice. <laughs> I'm not saying go out and offend as many people as possible so that they'll help you practice suffering. I'm not saying that at all, but, but just to expect it and, and to say, boy, I, I, I want to serve the Lord and I want to do what he's called me to do regardless of what 
what someone might say of me. Look at verse 25 of our passage. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Along with this idea of, of suffering, evangelism is not only words, but actions. Just, just like think about the, the testimony that this would be. Beaten by rods, in stocks, praising God. Wow. I don't know if that would be my demeanor, right? But evangelism, it's, it's not just about the words we speak, but the life, the life that we live. I told you we'd come back to this passage. There's so much here that's applicable for our, our topic at hand. Peter says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So Peter here doesn't just exhort us to give an answer, right? We love that part of the verse. Like I said, apologia, give a defense, right? But, but to live in a way that honors Christ. So maybe for you this morning, you can ask yourself, am I living, am I suffering in such a way that would cause someone to ask me, why are you so hopeful? Like, wh what is it about you? Because that's what's implied in this verse, right? Be ready to, to give an answer because someone might ask you for the reason, for the hope that is, that is in you. So the implication there is that you're living a life that's different. One of my favorite stories or characters really in, in the Bible is Daniel. <laughs> right? My name. <laughs> Daniel is an is a exile in, in Babylon. This is the whole lion's den issue. Daniel was rising to prominence. I think the Bible even says he's, he's like third, a third in command officer. So he's, he's rising up the ranks and some people get jealous of him. And they say, how are we going to tear this Daniel down? And, and this is what they say. We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. What a, what a powerful testimony. That, that They're like, we're not going to be able to find anything about this Daniel guy unless we make it about the law of his, of his God. If people are going to have something against you, let it be in connection with obedience to God. Right? If they want to call evil good and good evil, then so be it. But strive with God's grace to live the gospel and not just speak it. And if you're going to offend someone, uh, make sure that it's the, the gospel that they're offended at. Make sure it's the Bible that they're offended at, not at, at you and your uh, lack of tact, not at you and your, your lack of being gentle. This is a big passage here. I'm not going to take time to read it, but, but it's interesting as Paul um, describes his, his ministry. It's, it's all right there. Let's keep, let's keep working here. Acts 16, 25 through 30. Let's read that again. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he, withdrew, or he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now just pause there. What would, what would you have done? Right? I've suffered unjustly. I've, I've been beaten with rods unjustly. I'm in these chains, and God does a miracle in releasing me. And they stick around. If it was me, I'd be out the door, like, praise the Lord. I, I, like, he's, he's worked. But Paul and Silas, they stick around. Why? Well, is, there, is their primary concern escaping suffering? Is their primary concern getting out of there? What did they come to do? They came to share, to share the gospel, right? And so they didn't run. They stuck around and, and led this man 
uh, to Christ, right? Let's keep reading verse 30 through uh, 34 here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. I, I, I love this. Like it's, it's like after the fact that he kind of cares for their wounds, right? It's like after the fact that he washes them and cleans them up. Like I don't know about you, but, but if he came to me and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'd be like, hold that thought. Why don't you go get me an ice pack, some ibuprofen, some gauze, right, maybe? And, and take care of me first here before I, before I share the gospel with you, right? But that's, that's not what they did. They spoke the word to him, and it was only after the fact that their physical needs were, were addressed. The last word here is, is speak, speak. Paul and Silas very succinctly communicated the gospel message. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. In the next verse, in verse 32, it says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all who were in his house. There's a really popular saying, maybe you've heard it before, uh, and it goes like this by St. Francis of, a, of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use, use words. Now I understand the sentiment behind that, because we've talked about it, right? It shouldn't just be about what you say, but it should be the life that you live, right? But, but should, we, should we not speak words often? Yeah. I think we should speak words often. In fact, I would say evangelism includes speaking out loud with our words. Because we can very easily fall, fall into this mindset of like, if I'm just a nice enough person, that person will, will get saved. It's kind of like, I had, I had this concept growing up at, at a Christian school. It was like, you know, like <laughs> uh, going to the barber or whatever, and like they're, cut, they're cutting your hair as a kid. And, oh, so what school do you go to? It would be like, I go to Lake Region Christian School. You think, that's evangelism, right? I'm not sharing, sharing truth with them. I go to, I go to this school. <laughs> like, no, you haven't shared the gospel with anyone. You've, you've just told them a, a, a fact. So evangelism, it needs to include speaking out loud with words. Jesus charged them that, uh, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, right? This proclamation of the gospel. So it includes speaking out loud with words. But then this might be kind of a funny point to you. Evangelism must include speaking the gospel. Speaking the gospel. Maybe you saw this uh, ad during the Super Bowl. It was a, a commercial, and it's part of this ad campaign. It's the, the He Gets Us ad campaign. Maybe you're familiar with that. Now, just a, a few disclaimers here. I don't want to be the, the person that's always like tearing down what other Christians are doing because I, I, I think that there's good that can come from it, right? Uh, my, that's my prayer, at least, is that this ad campaign is, is putting Jesus in, in front of people and that, and that people will, uh, that God will somehow use that to, um, to advance his kingdom. That's my, that's my prayer. That's my hope. But I'm going to play this ad for you, and I just want you to, to think about it, and we'll talk about it for a few minutes afterwards. It's the He Gets Us campaign. Maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind, thinking I can see through this and see what's behind. Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying. in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see it clearer, or are you deceived? And what you believe? Cause I'm only human after all. There's, there's, a lots, there's lots of these videos, and, and they're similar to that. Um, but, 
But I, I would just encourage you, go, go on that website. I, I spent some time this weekend on that website reading through the articles that are there. Like, what's this all about? And uh, I, I, I didn't find much of the gospel. In fact, that might be a good homework assignment, right? Go, go and try to find the gospel amongst all the articles uh, on that website. Now, I, I understand, like, what they're trying to do is, like, humanize Jesus, and that's good. Like, Jesus came as a suffering servant, and he, he does get us. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He, he knows what it's like to, to, to live as a human yet without sin, and, and I hope that their goal here is just to draw people to, to Jesus so that they'll trust Christ, but I got to tell you, I didn't find a mention of sin on the website. I didn't, I didn't find a, a clear explanation of the gospel. Um, so to say he gets us is a lot less offensive than repent. To say he, he, he gets us. You know, it, it, the, everything that I was reading on the website was all about just like, really what we need to do is love like Jesus loved. That's, that's really the problem. We just need to love like Jesus loved. I, I agree, like let's love like Jesus loved, but the problem is our hearts. The problem is that we need a heart transformation. We need a heart transplant. We need, Jesus came not just to teach us a better way, he came to die on the cross for our sins because we couldn't save ourselves. To say he gets us and just leave it there without mention of the gospel, I think is, is, it's problematic, okay? Look what Jesus did. This is how Jesus addressed people. After the feeding of the 5,000, you guys are like, is he almost done? I'm getting there, okay? I got like one page left here. So it's like he, he, he fed the 5,000, and then he's speaking to these people because they, they're following him. They're trying to find him. And, and Jesus is very clear with them. Like, you're not following me for me. You're following me because you want your, your tummies full. You want the bread that I give you. And so he's encouraging them that, like, this physical bread, it's pointing to me. Like, you need me spiritually more than you need any kind of physical food. So he says in, in verse 58, this bread, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then a little bit later on, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus ran after them, right? right? No, don't go, please, I'm sorry. Let me, let me soften my words a little bit for you so that they won't be offended, so you won't turn away from me. Come back, please. That's not what Jesus did. He spoke the truth, and he wasn't going to compromise on the truth. If they're rejecting the truth, then they're rejecting the truth. He's not going to change the truth. <laughs> you can't change the truth. So, so what is the gospel? I, I feel like there's some key points to the gospel, and I'm not saying that when you interact with someone that you need to hit every single one of these points the first conversation. No, this might be several conversations, but, but what is it that I should help people understand regarding the gospel? Well, we should understand the authority and justice of a holy God, your creator. He's God, you're not. You're accountable to him. That's got to be the foundation. That's got to be the baseline. Otherwise, salvation? Salvation from what? Why? What did I do? Right? You're accountable to a holy God. Number two, the sin and separation of a re of rebellious man. That's, that's you, that's me, and the judgment that rebellious man is, is due because of a just God. Three, the person who, who is Jesus, right? It wasn't just some hippie rabbi out in the wilderness. Who is Jesus, the, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the third person of the Trinity, the person and work of Christ? What did he do? Why did he have to die on the cross? What, what was that all about? What's the resurrection? What's the big deal of that? And then lastly, a, a call to respond. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Right? It's through, through faith. So I, I'd encourage you, Use scripture, too, in those instances. Like, I, I know it's not culturally uh, acceptable much anymore, but, but, like, open up a Bible. If you're witnessing to someone, like, open up, open up the word, or eh, maybe slightly less important, I would say, but, but, you know, if you've got the Bible on your phone, you can pull it out. Like, the point of that is just to show people that there's lots of opinions out there, but the gospel is not my opinion. Like there's lots that people will say, but the gospel, the truth, is not my opinion. Here's the word of God. The power is in the word 
of God. Let, let's wrap it up because you guys are you stuck with me this far. I appreciate that. But, but just a few questions to, to wrap up here. Um, are, are you on mission? Are you on mission with Christ and his church and what he's called us to do in your family, in your workplace, when you're out and about, right? We live in this culture where it's pay at the pump. It's, I'm going to have my groceries, you know, delivered. It's, it's you know, when I deposit my check, the bank, I take a picture of it and send it in using the bank app. There's no more physical face-to-face interaction, right? I'm going to go through the self-checkout because hopefully I don't have to talk to anybody, right? Just little things like that where we think about, am I, am I on mission? Am I trying to put myself around other people with the thought of, maybe God will open up an opportunity. Maybe I'll be able to share the gospel with someone. And then, are you on mission when you come to church? Are you on mission when you come to church? Or, or is your mindset of like, I gotta go and I just need some for me, something for me this week, I need to have an encouragement, hopefully they sing some songs that I like, right? Or, or, or do I come to church on mission, right? Uh, understanding that I'm ministering to other people and understanding that maybe, okay, we had bring a friend last Sunday, but maybe, maybe my brother and sister in Christ has been working with a neighbor and they've just finally invited the neighbor to church and they're here. Like, am I, am I ready to come and have that conversation? And, and we don't tailor our worship services for the unbeliever, but we come every Sunday with eyes wide open to the fact that someone might be here that doesn't know Christ. And that's why we sing the gospel. That's why we rehearse the gospel. That's why we do communion. That's why we have our baptism services like we do, because we're teaching and preaching the gospel. Your attitude and participation as you sit in the pew is, is a witness. You greeting someone you don't know is being a witness. Hopefully some of those things are encouraging for you. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, um, thank you for this uh, time this morning. Thank you for your word. And, and just as we see it kind of spelled out in, in Acts chapter 16 of what Paul was involved in, Lord, help us to bridge the gap between what we read in Scripture and our, and our own lives. Uh, we, we know uh, that things don't always work out exactly how, how it's... Um, how it's recorded in, in a historical book like Acts, but we, we also recognize that, um, that your spirit is in each one of us as your followers. We also recognize that we have the same um, calling to bring the gospel, and we also recognize that, that there's people around us that don't know you and that um, we can share the gospel with. And so help that to be the forefront of our mind, Lord. And then in our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would worship you as holy, that you would be first in our life, and then evangelism would just be the the overflow uh, of that. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.